This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Did you read with Tim Montgomery? Welcome to this New Year special edition of the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery, editor of the Times' Opinion Pages. And today, with Anne Treneman, Roger Boys, and David Aronovich, we're looking forward to 2014. Politically, there are two very big words this year. Europe, elections in May, and Scotland. But it's really Europe that makes the heart race a bit faster. So what should Dave do? And Ed, and of course... The one who really matters, Nigel. We are supposed to have got rid of Syria's chemical weapons by mid-2014, but if Assad carries on killing, probably with conventional weapons, there'll be a strong case to go in there to intervene in defense of humanitarian corridors. Elsewhere, the big story will be Afghanistan. Rather than mission accomplished, have we really achieved anything at all? Something old. With every passing month, it becomes more likely that mortality will stake its claim on the royal family. Something new. The first wearable computer, Google Glass, will be launched. Look out for stories of Google Glasses colliding on pavements and in parks. Something borrowed, having invested enormously in the foreign threat. Some newspapers will be desperate to discover Romanian criminals and Bulgarian benefit claimants. And if they can't find enough, they may borrow some. Something blue. Manchester City will win the Premier League. So, Anne Treneman, let's uh, start with you and your political focus on 2014. And you talked about the European elections. Does actually anybody care who is elected to the European Parliament? Are these elections all really about the momentum it gives the parties ahead of the general election, which is still 18 months away? I think it's safe to say that I have never once heard anyone talk about the European Parliament, what they do. What an ME, who an MEP is, who their MEP Not is. Not even once. <laughs> Not even once. Um, and that includes when I cover it. <laughs> so that's pretty bad. But I think basically it's all about our parliament because Nigel Farage is the, the, you know, the big bad wolf who's actually now, everyone made fun of him for ages, and this is his moment. And he knows it. He's been planning for this for over a year, and he does a whole buffoon thing brilliantly where he stands around with a pint of bombardier. And um, But th- he's deadly serious about this particular campaign. And he really, I don't know, you know, I don't really think he wants to be an MP, you see. I think he just wants to make Dave really upset. 
Because <laughs> they've, they've done well in um, the last two European Parliament elections, UKIP, but they fizzled out by the time of the general election. Is it going to be any different this time? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think Europe is a huge... I mean, I think no one outside Westminster can quite understand the grip that Europe has on the Tory party, but it is pretty major. And um, it's very. everyone's very, very overexcited about Europe in general. We've had a year... The past year has been lo- a lot about Europe. And um, David Cameron has very much staked his claim to this mad concept that he's going to be able to change mm. our relationship with the European Union, and then we're all going to vote on the change. And... Um, I think it's sort of a little bit difficult to imagine how he's going to actually pull that off. And, and um, Roger Boyes, you wrote a column for The Times a couple of weeks ago in which you said we're all focused on the march of the far right across Europe in the European elections, Marine Le Pen's party in France, for example. But actually the story of politics, the politics of Europe in 2014 might actually be quite a leftward lurch in the management of the European Union. Yes, that's right. I, I, I mean, on I think on Anne's point, I, I would say that um, continental Europe is very worried about this far right groupings, and but we can't make up our minds whether UKIP is actually far right or whether it's part of the mainstream. And, and it seems to me well, there's a reason for that, which Anne won't tell me just yet because I'd like to finish <laughs> my thought. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that that's our main problem, and and as a result. We're sort of playing down the far right bit. Um, but then if you look at it analytically, each country by country, these, these people are uh, such a ragbag that they don't really count for anything. The Golden Dawn in Greece, Greece, by the way, has the EU presidency from, from January the 1st, which is a really frightening thought. Um, uh, the, the Greece has its Golden Dawn, which are basically who are basically neo-fascists. Um, but then you've got a sort of scattering of, of you know, Euro-skeptical sects and, and, and these kind of things. And they don't really, and they may all, with the help of the French, Marine Le Pen, as you say, make a a body of opinion in the European Parliament. They may be able to form a parliamentary group, which means that that a group committed to destroying the European Parliament will be inside the European Parliament. Does any of that matter? Actually, no. What matters is the management of Europe, and that is falling increasingly into uh, into left-wing hands. We've got a very left-leaning grand coalition in Germany. We have a leftist president in France. And we'll almost certainly, the way it looks now, have a bearded leftist as um, president of the European Commission. Does that a, Angela Merkel? A German bearded. Does, does, <laughs> does, does, does Angela Merkel think she's at the top of a left-leaning? Coalition? Well, she's not the bearded one. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I mean, well, no, she doesn't, obviously. But but the way the the uh, agenda has been structured for the German coalition, all the leftist issues will come up first so that they can get out of that government as fast as they can. David Aronitz, the other issue that Anne Treneman mentioned was the Scottish referendum in the autumn. And you've written for The Times about the fact, yes, opinion polls look like Alex Salmon's going to lose and we're going to stay together. But have we actually considered the implications for the following general election if Scotland does vote to leave the union? It's 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 an enormous occasion. No, it still staggers me, really. Uh, the degree to which this isn't discussed. I mean, it just amazes me. Uh, Just to kind of run you very briefly, recapitulate the point. Um, If the Scots vote for independence, 
in 2014. And the timetable laid down by the SNP government is to achieve full independence by 2016. Now, you will notice that an event happens between 2014 and 2016, and that event is a United Kingdom-wide general election. So let us suppose for a moment that they vote for independence. One, who then stands for Scotland in Scottish seats for the one year that they're going to be actually uh, in power? Because after that, they'll have to give up their seats. Two, if Labour, the Labour Party conceivably wins a small majority, which is held there by Scottish seats, mm. what authority would it have within the country as a whole, within what you might call the Rump UK, which then has to negotiate with the Scottish government about the terms of independence? Who's going to do that on behalf of the Rump UK? Well, no, no Scots MP mm. can. That's for absolutely certain. They'd have to resile themselves from voting and from any involvement in it. So what you have is a really huge constitutional crisis is, is, is quite possible if it happens. So all, the only way we're dealing with it at the moment is by saying, well, actually, the polls show us that they're not going to vote. Uh, uh, yes, they're going to vote no in Scotland. And I think it's a little bit early to tell that. But, but when I relate it to the European question, Tom, what you see continuously at the moment is a series of kind of forces competing. There are the forces of disintegration or separation very strong in the Conservative Party about Europe, very strong in Scotland about the Scottish referendum. And then there are the sort of weedy, weak forces of um, integration and so on, of which I very much associate myself, who really need to find a narrative, a convincing narrative to give to people in the face of all these kind of bits of what yeah. I call magical thinking, mm. that life will be so much better if we only get rid of the Europeans or the uh, English the or whatever. I'm trying to change we don't like it i mean that that is essentially i mean i'm sure alistair darling would disagree with me but basically the argument against um voting yes is don't change it's fine the way it is really and what are you going to do about your currency so you know there's sort of slightly scaremongering going on but there as you say there's not actually at the moment everyone is just closing their eyes and hoping that it's all going to be fine (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and you're not expecting a change of party leader in 2014. Clegg, Miliband, Cameron, they'll all be still there when we're sat here in a year's time looking forward to 2015. Well, you know, we spent the whole year waiting for Miliband to fall and I noticed, I, noticed, I noticed he's only gotten stronger. I spent part of my year saying it should. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I have to say, I never, ever thought it would. Um, and he's certainly not going to go, is he? In fact, none of them are going to go. I, the only leader I wonder who just might go is actually Farage. He might do very well in the European elections and wonder if that's his sort of peak moment. I'd certainly know that that's what Tory HQ are hoping for. Well, it might be be very interesting. And you said earlier, he doesn't really want to be an MP. Maybe this will be his last I feel that he would be bored to death in the UK Parliament. I mean... I don't think he's ever recovered from the the air crash, actually. And he's had quite a big operation. He's had a very big operation. It takes an incredible toll on people. And I did a debate with him not so long ago, and I was amazed by how lacklustre he was, actually, and how sort of, you know, he can... can, It it strikes me as somebody who's conjuring up every ounce of his strength to get through a television interview with his sort of customary brio and hey, so well, on. that's an interesting but interpretation. Because my interpretation of that is he's, he's making himself as boring as possible. <laughs> and that's, you know, basically, that was his, that's his strategy because he knows UKIP is... UKIP has always been full of fruitcakes. I mean, they used to hold their press conferences literally in the pub. I mean, he's a lot of fun to sketch, I can tell you that. But, um, you know, he's, I've noticed he's very much, his interviews are very, very kind of down now. Well, they do not happen in pubs anymore. Well, t- Tim will know this better than the, the rest of us. I mean, the thing that UKIP has not done is attracted any high-level 
Tory defectors. Extraordinary. Uh, and I've been uh, very uh, abs- surprised. Yeah, absolutely that, yeah. not done it. Now, in order for a party like that to take off, that has to happen at some point. And I see no sign of it whatsoever. Well, what is well it could happen after the European elections, then. Yeah. 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 Well, mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we could talk about British politics for a lot longer, but we've got <laughs> two other topics um, to look at. And um, we're now going to leave our shores and be transported to a much less happy part of the world. Roger Boyes, you have chosen... Um, Syria and Afghanistan as two of a huge number of possible uh, countries we could look at. Why why have you chosen those two? Well, uh, Syria, of course, is vital because um, this year, let's say 2013, saw a pivot. Uh, uh, You know, we almost intervened and we didn't. Um, And now, for example, for the British, there's the question of, you know, William Hague came in saying that we're going to punch above our weight. Now we don't punch. So our weight drops. I'm not sure if that's correct. You can physically correct metaphor. But um, uh, and and now we have to solve this problem, which is a very uh, militarized problem uh, without the means. Um, so what's happening is we're mutating the Syrian problem into a humanitarian, a really big humanitarian crisis, as it is. And this winter is going to be horrible. In fact, already is horrible for, uh, for these people. And out of this humanitarian crisis, we will evolve a new multilateral um, approach. Uh, when the chemical weapons are out, I'm pretty sure that we will press for... Um, Uh, urgent humanitarian assistance with humanitarian corridors, which can be guarded and enforced with military means. And this will then throw the issue back into the British Parliament. Do you think we really will go for military protection? Well, let's just see how bad it gets. Isn't Parliament exhausted by the British people, the American people, exhausted by the thought of sending any of our troops anywhere in the world now. I don't defend that exhaustion. But if you have the, isn't that the political mindset in a year before a general election? Are we going to take a risk of that kind? Well, I'd like to think there's some, you know, there's some principle of consistency involved here. If you have a migration led uh, uh, approach to the world, then one of the things you have to do is have an active humanitarian policy abroad so that people don't come here. And David, that's, you know, I mean, Turkey, for example, is completely overwhelmed at the moment with, with Syrian refugees. Lebanon's about to collapse because of all the Syrian refugees. Jordan is having big troubles. Well, okay, so we become an active player. As we already are, we give an awful lot of humanitarian aid and we have to back it up. But that's, that's, but that's precisely, David the problem. that's precisely the problem, Roger, isn't it? Which is that this kind of what I call the autarkic fantasy, the notion that you can separate yourself off from the rest of the world, which is gaining ground, believes precisely that. It believes precisely that if you don't intervene in Syria, that somehow or other you will escape the consequences yeah, of that kind of implosion. Yeah. Now, we know that's... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Rubbish, but unfortunately, that is the dominant kind of politics at the moment, partially, I think, because of the reason that, that Tim says. So even if we were to have the – you and I would argue like hell for these humanitarian corridors and say, look at the long-term consequences if you don't do it, quite apart from the humanitarian implications. And people will turn around and say there will be no support in the Security Council for it. Russia will veto anything that suggests any troops going in in order to enforce these humanitarian corridors. I think the truth is that all the usual campaigners have written off Syria and they are just watching and saying, maybe if I can give 20 quid to salve my conscience to the Syria refugee appeal, that's what I'm going to do. Roger Boyce. Well, well, actually, the world has changed a little bit and Russia, through various you know, degrees of deviancy, have come to the right position on, on a lot of things. Um, and one of the things they're coming round to is is Syria. Um, so I think we will, or we, it is possible to get UN support for that kind of limited military assistance for, for humanitarian corridors. Russia, even Russia, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I will live uh, to regret that. Statement. To me, one of the interesting. Uh, sort of links here is it you know we're going to talk about Afghanistan in a minute now in terms of parliament there is absolutely no um, real you don't take any real passion or heart about intervening in Syria militarily at all anymore but you do get people bragging about our humanitarian at uh, the level of our humanitarian aid which sort of is the, the new thing people say like people always used to say about Afghanistan oh we're helping girls go to school and now in Syria it's well we're help we're giving all this aid and that's what that so it's great um, and I think Afghanistan is a subject on which no one is willing to be honest or frank on the subject at all at the moment I can see why because, you know, we have lost people there <clears throat> and it's a very sensitive subject for politicians in general. Um, but I think that really influences how people feel about Syria. Mm. Uh, Roger, you said, have we actually achieved anything at all in Afghanistan? British troops, American troops have killed an awful lot of terrorist fighters, haven't they? Who, if we hadn't killed them there, might well have been uh, carrying on David Aronovich's warning spilling over global borders, terrorizing us. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, but what we're leaving behind is an ungovernable, a still ungovernable country with a corrupt leadership, even if Kazai, which, you know, Kazai doesn't put his placement into power in the April elections, it will still be um, on, the, on the very brink of kind of pre-modern chaos. And... We have no solution. We're not talking to the Taliban. Uh, we're not, uh, although that might happen this year, but probably we've left it too late. Um, and uh, we're not leaving sufficient people behind to train. The Afghan army is absolutely useless. They've got more casualties over the last four months than, I mean, they had 
two and a half thousand fatalities over the last couple of months. Um, you know, mainly people shooting themselves through the foot or shooting each other in the back. You know, that's that's what's awaiting Afghanistan. We're leaving chaos behind us. And so those people who said, well, we should have gone in Afghanistan to open up possibilities for women to go to university um, uh, are living in cloud cuckoo land now. They, you know, there is no there is no mission achieved there at all. We're leaving a complete mess behind us. The poppy harvest is really booming this year mm. and is going to do really well um, in the future. Uh, so we, we, have to, we have to at least think politically about these problems and not just militarily. Um, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that because I think military withdrawal, um, which has been kind of forced on us, does suggest a shrinkage of British power abroad. I mean, we just don't, can't, we can't do it anymore. The Times' is international man of the year uh, for 2013 was Vladimir Putin. Not for good reasons, but because he was a villain in uh, the Syrian situation. He's been a villain in Ukraine. He's been a villain um, with uh, such things as gay rights. Um, are there any big figures we should be looking out for in 2014? The dictator in North Korea... Is Barack Obama going to break the gridlock in Congress? Any particular individuals uh, we should be thinking of? Well, um, always put your money on dictators. I mean, they, they, <laughs> the, the Central Asians will survive. Anyone with petrochemicals is likely to survive as an authoritarian leader for quite some time. So that, that's a sure bet. David, David Aronovich, anyone you would well, nominate? I'm, I'm slightly struck by the situation of um, both Iran and Saudi Arabia. Um, I don't know what Roger thinks about this, but there is going to have to be a bigger, I mean, partially because of the very withdrawal you're talking about. There's a, insofar as we do, the West, etc., does withdraw, it's going to be incumbent upon countries like Saudi Arabia to step into that void. Um, and then the dynamics of their relationship with Iran becomes, it's already become quite a big sub-theme of 2013. You could see it becoming an even bigger theme in 2014 and 2015. Or have I got that wrong, Roger? No, that's absolutely right. I mean, of course. Uh, but you can't, I think the main problem is that a lot of Western leaders are saying that this Rouhani, the Iranian president, is a Gorbachev. Um, and there's actually no real evidence, that's to say a good thing. Um, uh, but he's probably more like an Andropov, you know, one of these people who tinker with the system in order to keep it alive. And all the analogies that we're using to try and understand what may or may not happen in Iran, they're all based really on a misunderstanding. This is a theocracy. There's, you know, communism was about to collapse when Gorbachev came. Uh, you know, Islam is, you know, Shia Islam is not about to collapse, quite frankly. What about Venezuela? Um, <laughs> I say Venezuela. I know. What about Venezuela? What about no, no, well, Cuba is actually interesting. Um, uh, it, it is interesting, but Venezuela, uh, to me, looks like a country that is going to implode in the next year. Huh? Okay. Well, um, we'll have to come back here and hold you to that um, prediction. And Trenman, any foreign leader that you think we should be spotlighting? Um, well, spotlighting. I'm, you know, as you would expect, I'm very interested in, in Obama. And I'm very interested in his presidency. And I'm interested in what happens. And I think that if he does not uh, solve this problem with Congress, it is, uh, it is very, very bad long-term 
as well as short term. I mean, America, the system of government is about blocking and getting around. I mean, that's and we, 20, we were taught. You know, we 2013 ended with a, a, a small, modest, yes. but at least a bipartisan exactly. progress we on the budget deal. Don't we, in, uh, in November. In November. Yeah, no. uh, uh, here's a prediction coming your way. I, this is really, I hate, I hate predictions. I hate, predictions. I hate predictions. I think the Republicans are going to have some real problems in the midterms. I, I'm going to disagree with David, not for the first time, because actually I think Obamacare's problems are going to get worse, not better. And I think that will really cause Democrats problems in November. But we've now recorded these um, predictions, and so we could be held account for them. <laughs> yeah, but you're the comment time. editor, and I'm yeah. just a columnist. So if you get yours wrong, you must be fired. <laughs> it's all in the editing. Now, um, uh, we must move on and to our third topic. And I'm not really quite sure what our third topic is, David. Well, I know, but simply because options, you said Anne Treneman's going to talk about politics, and Roger Boyd's going to talk about foreign <laughs> policy, and you can talk about everything else. Everything else is such a big category. That, but I, I chose kind of four little elements. Forget about the... Manchester City just will win the Premier League. I think League, so. I don't no, think certainly not, neither of our teams, Man United I, I or Spurs. No, they won't. So, and, and it isn't a serious discussion. However, <laughs> there, are, there, there are these sort of strange kind of... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly Romanian. Yeah. Order. Um, order. David yeah. Ronovich. Uh, <laughs> oh, the speaker. <laughs> I was astonished that in 2013 the Queen didn't take my advice and abdicate uh, given how given amazing. how old she was. I don't understand why um, people it, don't take the, all of your columns uh, advice in your columns. The world would be a much better place if it did. I think she has almost sort of, I mean I know you can't almost abdicate but it, if anyone can do it it's it's the Queen and she's she, you know, she, she didn't go to back. Mandela, did she? She, you know, she's very, very much taking it back. Well, she missed out on Robben Island. Of course, that was probably the, the problem there. And she didn't go to the Commonwealth House of Government summit, but she did. Uh, yeah. We were interrupting David and. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. I, that, I, I, that was a welcome interruption, um, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, because it, it stops me saying, which actually it doesn't stop me saying. Um, she will withdraw more, so we mean, which does mean we have to see a lot more of Prince Charles in his kingly role rather than in the kind of princely role of going around talking about health supplements and so on uh, which he's fulfilled (laughs) but also as people get older they are more susceptible to mortality Um, at some point or other we're going to have a major royal snuff it uh, I don't look forward to it, or so, etc. But 2014 could conceivably quite quite easily be the year. So that's it on the royal family. I mean, but but uh, but we're a newspaper and we're a British, so we'll make a tremendous hoo ha if any of this happens. I'm just warning readers right now. Uh, I think anyone who saw our coverage of the royal baby will know that we had uh, to cover royal stories quite that was very fully. This is my anything. this is my first year working at the Times, and my first day I arrived was the day that Margaret. Thatcher died, so that yeah. was quite a sort of baptism of mm-hmm. fire. And of course, no coincidence. We, we have, no. <laughs> we have. Uh, You're not linking the two of us. No, certainly not. And, uh, we, no, of course, as her spirit departed one place, it entered another. <laughs> yeah. And um, in in last week's podcast, when we reviewed the year. Um, Everyone was very taken by uh, the Pope, someone who'd really made an impact in 2013. Oh, you keep on about the Pope. Well, ev- it's not just it's not just me. David. No, Tim loves the Pope. Yeah, but everyone loves the Pope. I mean, he's up. For, apparently, he's you know the major favorite for the Time Person of the Year. Kind of oh, thing. of oh, he is the Time. They have Time have nominated oh, him as the Person yeah. of the Year, yeah. and he is also this newspaper's Person of the Year. Mm. So right. take that. Oh. Oh, right, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, okay. And uh, we've obviously lost Mandela this year. Are there, are there any other Does that figure? mean Nick Clegg has lost that again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are, there any, are there any big individuals? I've asked you to identify big world leaders we should be looking out for in 2014. Are there any other sort of 
cultural or scientific figures that uh, might be newsmakers in 2014? And there was a horrible silence. <laughs> As we all kind of ran down all the kind of cultural just, figures. Just, 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 Justin Welby is um, the Archbishop of Canterbury. No, he had him. a good 2013. Yes. Is he going to... How can you have a bad one? He's a great guy. David Beckham, is he going to have to take the place of... Um, that's yeah. uh, Melanie Reed's uh, suggestion that David Beckham will have to take the place of Mandela in people's hearts. Uh, right. I think that there'll be a, a silence I, after that. Can't see, <laughs> can you see a great song being set up about David Beckham like free? Nelson Mandela was. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. No. Well, I'm all for putting him in Robben Island for 31 years. I mean, that's, <laughs> that might be a good starting point. Oh, he's not, I mean, I must admit, he's not a bad fella, David Beckham. The, I must admit that the, the Google Glass thing, I'm living in slight fear because it is very... I do think there's something really weird about our society at the moment where everyone is looking at their phone all the time. No, d- and d- it's a very odd don't thing. Don't think of it as weird. Oh, sorry. No, no. It, 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 don't, think, don't think of it as weird because this is the way it is. And what comes will seem even stranger and so on. You, what, it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's like explaining email to a 90-year-old or something like that who hasn't used it before. Uh, we ran uh, just, before, uh, just before Christmas, we ran this uh, story about how people, young people don't write letters anymore. It kind of has this tinge of regret in it. Don't regret it. Why would you write a letter when you can write a good email and illustrate it, drop a YouTube specially made video into it and send it off yeah, to somebody I, you I really keep- like. I like letters and I keep letters for like for my whole well, life good, and I go back and read them again and, good, and they smell don't and they? I you know I write a diary and I think well, people still write diaries if, if, if you're worried them. about that spray some scent on your computer I mean <laughs> <laughs> you know if that's, if that's, if that's really what it's the first time not I've, that kind of scent the scent does not make well, look, I'm going to draw things to a halt because clearly we are not going to identify newsmakers from 2014, but um, I've enjoyed our discussion very much. And thank you, Anne Treneman, Roger Boys, and David Aronovich. And thank you to Dave Maguire, my producer, who has looked after this podcast throughout the last few months. And we will be back in the new year, new year for more discussion. Until then, a happy new year to all of you. And thank you for listening. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.